I want you to picture me. Okay, it's halftime. This is like the championship game. And I'm here to motivate you because we're, you know, we might be down by 14 football game. I'm here to motivate you to, to win in the second half. All right? And if you don't like football, pretend it's baseball. There's no halftime, but whatever. Pretend it's whatever you like. Dance team, ballet. I'm the coach, okay? And I love you to pieces. You're amazing. So whatever I say, bring it through that filter of love, okay? Whatever I say. Amen. Amen. I love you people online, too. You guys are awesome. Um, All right, we're in a a series called People on Purpose, so um, we're going to kick it off. Has anybody here ever taken a risk? Taking a risk? Taking a risk where, like, if it it goes well, it's going to be really cool, but if it goes bad, it could be really bad. Um, I've taken a a lot of different risks. You know, maybe it's uh, jumping out of an airplane like my wife did. That's kind of risky. Like, it could go really bad. Maybe it's like going down a double black diamond with moguls that your same height is going straight down on a snowboard. I've done that. It's a little bit scary. It's a little bit freaky. It's a little bit scary. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's starting a business or launching out or running for government or something like that. Something maybe you've never done before. It could go really good. It could be disappointing. I remember I went uh, back in the day when I was, I was uh, full-time commercial real estate and I also owned uh, I was a partner in a property management company, and there came a point where I had to choose one because they were both getting kind of big. And so I remember sitting in the jacuzzi with my wife at our old house and talking this through and saying, man, what do we do? Because the property management thing, I mean, that's kind of safe because you're getting a, a weekly check from these properties, kind of economy proof, and, you know, um, that's kind of the safe the safe choice. And then there's going back into just sales, which is, you know, commission only, which is, you know, it's a little bit risky. It's like, it could go really good or really bad. I had a wife and kids and a mortgage and all that kind of stuff. And we decided to just step out in faith and go commission only. Because if it goes good, it goes really good. And it's fun. But if it goes bad, you know, and it worked out, it worked out pretty good, but it was risky. It was kind of like a, a big step. But there's something about stepping out. There's something about stepping out and taking a risk. And, you know, just, just a few weeks ago, we're, in the, we're at the river with uh, our friends, the Hubbards, and we're, uh, we have these razors, these like dune buggies, right? And you're, you're going 55, 60 miles an hour on this ridge right above the river, and um, there's a slight chance that you could die. Like if, you're, if your tire explodes and you, you know, flip the thing into the, into the river, that's, that's a bad day. It's a bad day. You know, so there's a slight chance, there's a slight risk, but there's something about that that's exhilarating. There's something about that that lights you up, that motivates you, that gets you to be focused and committed and launch out, because once you go, you gotta go. You, you, gotta, you gotta go, you gotta, you gotta make something happen. It's, it's, it's risky business, which is the title of my message this morning, risky business, not the, not the Tom Cruise kind. It's risky, risky business. Where there is risk, there is excitement. Risks take courage, otherwise it wouldn't be a risk. It takes courage. It takes faith. Faith in God, I think. Faith in a God who I believe is looking for people who are willing to take a risk, who, are, who, who know what's at stake and are willing to lay it all on the line. If, it's, if there's nothing on the line, there's no reason to break a sweat. If there's nothing on the line, why, why take a risk? Why go for it? Why step out in faith? Did you know that you and I are created to, to battle? You and I are created to take ground. You and I are created to conquer things. We're not created to just sit back. We're created to overcome and to solve problems. There's this, uh, there was a study I just heard about with these rats. And there's these, there, there, these, there's these rats, and in one cage, the rats were just fed everything that they needed. 
anything that they needed, all the food, all, you know, they had, I don't know if they had nice music playing or whatever, but they didn't have any needs. Every need was met. And then there was another cage where um, they were kind of deprived of different things. And what they found was that the cage of rats that had everything given to them, they started to have these conflicts. They started to to fight each other and to bite each other and to, to battle each other because we're not meant to just receive everything for ourselves. We're meant to go and take stuff. We're meant to go take ground in certain areas. We're meant, to, we're meant to battle. It's okay to see a problem because you're meant to overcome that problem, bring a solution. We're not meant to just sit there and receive everything. That's called welfare, and that causes conflict. Causes conflict. There is a place for that, but, but, but for the most part, it causes conflict. There's, there's, there's whole projects that were, that were built and created where it's just welfare, and everybody just receives everything, and within weeks, there are, there are conflicts, there are fights, there are gangs, there are all this stuff that happens because people are just receiving everything. They don't need to go get anything. We're meant to conquer things. We're meant to overcome things. We're meant to engage in things. The Bible says in Luke 2.49, it says, and he said to them, okay, wait, this is where Mary and Joseph lost the Son of God for three days. It's like, it's like, what do you say? Dear, no, you don't say, dear Lord, I lost your son. You just try to find your son. And so Mary and Joseph leave. They come back to, to Jerusalem and they're looking for Jesus and they come and they find him. And Jesus says to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I must be about my father's business. Jesus had an assignment, and he knew what his assignment was from the age of 12, we learn in the Bible, and he says, I must be, like, I'm obsessed with the assignment of God. I must be about my father's business. There is stuff on the line, and it's a risky business. It's risky, but Jesus knew that there were gonna be people that hated him. There were people that wanted to kill him, persecute him. He knew that if he didn't, if he didn't perform, humanity was at stake. If he didn't get up from the grave, the future of human beings is gone. Sin is with us forever. It was a risk when he left heaven to come to earth. It was risky business, but he said, you know what? I'm willing to take the risk. This is exciting. I can save humanity. And so because he only had three and a half years of ministry, he actually spent 30 years of his life, the Bible says, increasing in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man before he launched out into his ministry. We live in a culture today where we want everything right now. Everything right. Can you imagine the son of God having to wait 30 years before he could launch out in ministry? How many people, how many sick people did he walk by that he could have laid his hands on? He said, it's not my time. How many devils could he have cast out in that 30 years? He said, you know what? It's not my time. How many people could he got saved? But he said, you know what? It's not my time. We need to realize that sometimes there's a process before we can launch out into the things of God. And we got to be able to submit to our parents, submit to be an apprentice with his dad and, and, and work on ourselves before we launch out into our ministry. Build a, build a level of, of credibility and experience before we, just, before we just launch out. And since he only had three and a half years of his ministry, he couldn't just preach and get people saved. He couldn't just have altar calls and then pray a prayer and have people get saved. He only had three and a half years. He had to build disciples. He had to build a team. He had to build disciples who knew how to build disciples. Discipleship or disciples are people who passionately pursue Christ and purposely produce Christ followers. Disciples are people on a journey of transformation, not just salvation. 
Now, salvation is the beginning of discipleship, the beginning of transformation, but we can't just stay at the cross. We got to go past the cross. God didn't, Jesus didn't die on a cross just so that you could get saved. That's part of the reason, but, but, but we got to make disciples. We got to be disciples. We got to be people that are disciples making other people disciples. Jesus wasn't afraid to confront bad behavior. He told Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's pretty rough. He called out Judas at the Last Supper and said, you're the one that's going to betray me. Can you imagine the awkwardness at that table? He got angry in the temple and he turned over tables. Jesus was a savage. He was savage, man. But he also wasn't afraid to love the lepers, the ones that are unlovable. He wasn't afraid to touch them and hug them. He wasn't afraid to speak into the woman caught in adultery and and uh, he wasn't afraid to, to love people that were previously maybe unlovable. He uh, wasn't afraid to sit with sinners and, and tax collectors. Like he was a disciple maker. He loved all people. He gave everybody an opportunity to become a disciple. And I think sometimes we get away from, from, from the basics. Discipleship. That's what our call is. That's what our purpose is as people and as a church. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. This is the, uh, the great commission, as they say. And Jesus came and spoke to the disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." So Jesus comes and he says, guys, all authority has been given to me. I died and rose again. I got the keys to hell. I conquered death. All authority has been given to me. Now I give it to you, and in my name I want you to go. In other words, he signs a power of attorney. You can use my authority to make disciples in the earth. You are my representation. You are my ambassadors. I will back you up. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. Go and make disciples. So God saves people, but then he calls the church, you and I, to disciple people, to discipleship. We are a discipleship church. And, and here's the deal. Discipleship isn't easy. Discipleship isn't easy. It's kind of messy. But as soon as we realize it's not easy, it becomes easier. <laughs> as soon as we realize that, hey, we got to do some work for this thing. We can't just get people saved and say, see you later. we got to actually disciple people, teach people what God has commanded us, not what people want to hear but what God has commanded us to teach you. Psalms 11.3 says this. This is David. It says, if the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I believe that the foundations of this godly society that we are so privileged to grow up in in the United States of America is under attack. So what do the righteous do? Do we just kick it and get people saved and have the sinner's prayer and clap for ourselves? Or do we get down and dirty and disciple people and teach them how to live, watch their lives get transformed, healed, set free, delivered, and teach them how to teach others? What are we doing? Are we willing to get down and dirty and disciple people? What do the righteous do? We get back to the basics, the fundamentals, the fundamentals. My kids play baseball. They're, you know, they're in majors. My boys and my daughter just started playing softball, and she's seven. Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. It's amazing how 
uh, as a society and as, as a culture, we want to be on ESPN Sports Center for making the big, crazy diving catch instead of just doing the fundamentals. How about we just get in front of the ball instead of trying to dive for it? How about if we just step up to the plate and if it's a strike, we swing and hit it? Why do we have to worry about, you know, the big leg kicks or the, what we do, you know, all this kind of stuff? Like, just step up to the plate and hit. Grip and rip. <laughs> Grip, rip, and trot is what we used to say. Swing for the fences, the singles will come. You know, there's all these, these different things. There's all these different things that we would say. But why are we so worried about all this kind of stuff? Because we want to be on SportsCenter because the fundamentals are kind of boring. Fundamentals are kind of boring. My daughter um, just started playing, and uh, her first scrimmage game, she swung at the first three pitches that the pitcher threw. Now, she's seven, so they don't throw very many strikes. So the first three pitches, like one was way overhead, one was like way outside, one bounced like halfway on the way there. And uh, after, the, after the game, I'm like, honey, you don't have to swing at every pitch that they throw. I'm like, I couldn't say strike zone, she doesn't know what that is. So I had to say, all you have to swing at are the balls that are around, like that your bat can reach. You know, like you, if it's up there, you can't reach, don't swing at it. If it's way over there, don't swing at it. And I said, if you take four of them that are away from your bat, you actually get to go to first base. And she's like, nice of you to tell me that after the game, dad. <laughs> Like, legitimately, my wife came out and my daughter right then. It was hilarious. <laughs> Little sassy pants. And I was like, well, I thought maybe your coach would have told you, but I guess not. Okay. Now I know I got to teach my daughter the fundamentals. The fundamentals. I played against this guy in pro ball. He played for the Red Sox. And he was like one of those guys that you hate to play against. Because he's not like this, you know, he's not 6'4", 250, shredded or whatever. He's just like 5'6", like you know, not very gifted, um, not very, out, like he would never make sports center, but he was just brilliant at the fundamentals. He never swung at a ball. He never struck out. He always got in front of the ball. He had no arm, but he had a quick release so he could, you know, and he was accurate. So he would get the guys out. I, I didn't like playing against this guy because he was so hard to get out, yet he wasn't flashy at all. But guess what? He made it to the big leagues and now he's a millionaire because he knew the fundamentals. He wasn't flashy. He just did the basics really, really, really well. I think we just have to get back to the basics, and for us, it's discipleship. What can the righteous do? We can get back to the fundamentals of, of discipleship and being about our father's business. There was something that happened in the 1700s in the first uh, Great Awakening, and that was when people were coming to Christ in droves. And, and I was listening to this podcast, and they had, uh, th these guys had all these sermons, copies of real sermons from back in the day. And you would think all the sermons would be just like, you know, talking about people with the sinner's prayer and, you know, just a salvation message, just a very surfacey message. But that actually wasn't at all what the messages were about. The messages were about what was happening in the world because the Bible has something to say about everything that's happening in the world. And so they were talking about, you know, different wars and battles. There was a whole series on earthquakes how to manage your money, all this kind of stuff that was happening in the world, the church was teaching. It wasn't just about salvation, which is interesting because that's called discipleship. Teaching people how to live and how to get their lives transformed, that's called discipleship. But nowadays, churches are so, so seeker-friendly, so I just want to get people saved and then, you know, wash my hands and pat myself on the back. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples. We're called to make disciples. That's why I want to challenge all of the men here. 5.30 in the morning on Tuesdays, from now until Emerge, we're going to go through Pastor Jurgen's book called Push, Pray Until Something Happens. 
because I want the men of Balboa campus to show up at Emerge strong and courageous who know how to pray and believe God, stand up for their families, battle in warfare. And you might say, 5.30 in the morning on Tuesday, that's so early. I had somebody tell me, he's like, that's not hard. Going to war in Iraq is hard. Getting up at 5.30 in the morning ain't hard. So we, we, we got to get back to discipleship, the, 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 the basics, the fundamentals. We're going to learn how to pray, fellas, and I'm going to get you a good deal only on Tuesday morning on that book. Anyway, <laughs> shameless plug. In 1948, Israel became a nation, and it fulfilled biblical prophecy that they were going to become a nation again. So what the churches did is they moved away from discipleship and just towards salvation, just towards getting people saved, the, the sinner's prayer, because Jesus is coming back. So we just need to get everybody saved. We just need to get everybody saved. But the re reality is God gets people saved. We disciple people. And so salvation is the beginning of discipleship. Discipleship hap happens after salvation. But the church kind of went away from discipleship and started preaching messages that, that people, if you're new, it's great because you can get saved. But if you've been here for a while, it's like, wow, another salvation message. That's not what we're called to do here at Awaken Church. We're, we're here to teach us how to live, and we can learn from each other, and we can learn from, from what the Bible says about what's happening in the world. Going to all the world means all cultures. It means all ethnicities. It means all spheres of society, government, arts and entertainment, media, education, business, religion, family. We need to invade every area because what's being taught today is going to be our culture tomorrow. Socrates said this philosopher. He said, the two most important questions every society needs to ask itself is, who is teaching our kids and what are they teaching them? Who is teaching our kids and what are they teaching them? Because what's taught today is going to be our tomorrow. Luke 6.40 says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. In other words, we're going to reproduce our future in the next generation. So who is teaching our kids? The education system is a little bit broken in case you haven't been paying attention especially in California, they're rewriting history based on the loudmouths of a few. They're rewriting what's happened in history to, 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 to go in line with their agenda. That's who's teaching our kids, and it's not the teacher's fault, it's the curriculum that's being thrown down their throats. And so we need to, we need to invade education and change the stuff that we're, that's being taught. We have to, we have to get people on school boards and teaching and principals and superintendents that can actually change what's being taught. We have to get people on high levels of government that can mandate what's being taught, that can be lined up with the Bible. Because what we've done as a church is we've backed off from education, so they've taken the Bible out of, church, out of education. There was a guy that said, we don't need more Christian schools. We need more Christians in schools. I'm not opposed to Christian schools. I like Christian schools. But that idea, that, that, that perspective is powerful when we talk about invading into different schools and into education. And it's not just education. It's not just that it's teaching our people. It's even churches, pastors. There's a, there's a recent... Um, panel with a very famous pastor, very influential pastor, who was talking to some younger people who would never in their right mind confront or challenge him. And he was pro-choice. And during the panel, he actually convinced a pro-life person to be pro-choice, a pro-life pastor to be pro-choice. Very famous person, very influential person. 
is teaching our kids, is teaching our next generation what he, his interpretation of the Bible is. And I believe the reason is, is because pastors and leaders are trying to be so cool and fit in with society and be welcoming to everybody, which we are welcome to everybody, but we still have a responsibility to tell them the truth. Anybody can come in here, but if you come here, you're going to hear the truth, and you have a decision whether you're going to choose to agree with the truth or choose not to agree with the truth. But we're going to tell you the truth, and that is our mandate as a church, that is our mandate as Christians to tell the truth. And I'm listening to it, though, the first time, and I'm like, wow, I kind of, uh, wait, what am I, do- what am I doing? Because it was so cunning, so twisted. It's just like the devil, right? God created the garden. He created paradise, but then the serpent got in. So cunning. And he convinced Eve to touch and then to eat and then to give it to Adam. And they both ate. And they were like, wow, what did we just do? The fall of man. It's just like a a serpent. That's why we have to be careful. We have to be careful who's teaching us and what we're teaching. Before the last election, I did a video um, before the last election because I was so disgusted with what I was hearing and hearing people talk about the election and, and the different issues that were happening. And I felt like I got to do something. I got to get the word out. Even I don't know if it's going to make a difference, but I just had to do something. So I, I did a video and just brought out like three simple truths to talk about why it was the easiest election in 20 years to make a decision. And it got over 100,000 views. I didn't even, I didn't boost it or whatever. Over 100,000 views. I got hundreds of maybe thousands of comments Half of them were good. Half of them were not good. <laughs> sort of mixed things up online a little bit. And you know what? It was a risky thing. It was a risky thing. My parents were, like, actually concerned for our, for our uh, safety because there were some people that were very angry at what I said, even though all I said was what was in here. But we got we to start teaching. We got to start changing the narrative. We can't let the media and the social media overwhelm us We're called kingdom people. We're supposed to overthrow the kingdom of the world with the kingdom of heaven. We're not supposed to just receive what the world wants. We're not supposed to just conceive and conform to what they're saying. But we don't like to confront people because we're so politically correct. We're so, we don't want to offend people because there's a few loud voices that call us bigots or whatever, condemning or hypocrites or whatever. So we're so hard. We're so so, uh, scared of confrontation. There was a guy in, uh, in Texas, there was a recent church shooting. You guys may have heard of it. Two people died. It was very, you know, very sad. But this guy, um, uh, the security guard that saved basically hundreds of people because he shot and killed the assassin. It was, a, it, it was an incredible thing that he did because he saved so many people. But the reason that guy even got into the sanctuary is because of a, they were scared to confront him. He had on a trench coat with a bulge. He looked disheveled, but because the security guards were so scared to confront him, he got in and two people died anyways. How much more of a hero would he have been if he'd have went, hey, sir, excuse me, you're not allowed to make other people in here feel uncomfortable because you got issues. And they said, what's in your jacket? And they showed him, and then they kick him out of the church to call the police, and they save everybody, and two people don't die. But we're so scared to confront. Let me just tell you, our security have been commissioned to check you if you're rolling in with a trench coat and a bulge in your jacket. Or if you're being all crazy, we're going to ask you questions. Because we're called to confront bad behavior. We're called to, to protect what God has created from the serpent. That's why you got to get a sticker when you go get your kids. Because we don't want the serpent 
to destroy what God has created here at Awaken Church. We want to be safe. We want to be smart. And it's okay if we offend somebody to save everybody. But who's teaching our kids? Here, here, I was watching the, uh, the NBA All-Star game, okay, basketball. And uh, I was watching the game, the dunk contest and all that, and then they had this other thing. It was, a, it was called a, a roasting. And they had Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, Kenny Smith, and whoever the other guy was that's on their TNT show, and they were all roasting those guys. It was kind of like a fun thing. All the people roasting them were famous people, um, some famous roasters, some just famous people. Well, one of the girls that was there that was a roaster uh, they were making fun of her because nobody knew who she was. The reason nobody knew who she was is because they were all adults. She had about 14 million or something like that followers, subscribers on YouTube speaking to the next generation. What she said was, she said, hey, when she, one of the things she was famous for is a year ago she came out of the closet and said she's bisexual. And so she was making fun of one of the roasters and she said, I've only been a bisexual for a year and I've probably pleasured more women than you have in your life. And everybody there was like, ha, 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 clapping. This woman is discipling the next generation. 14, 10 to 14 million subscribers on YouTube are now thinking, oh, wow, well, she's famous, and this is what she's famous for. This is what she's doing, and she's saying it's okay, so maybe I can do the same thing. Who's teaching our kids? There's another guy in the NBA, Dwayne Wade. I liked his career, I followed his career. He seems like a great guy every time I've seen him interviewed or whatever. His son, who's I think around eight, has now wanted to become a woman. And so Dwayne Wade is being interviewed on YouTube at the Miami Pride Week, and they're asking him about this, this thing and how he's handling it, and he said this. He said, my job as a parent is to support my kids in whatever they want to do and love them through it. Let me just put to you that that's not love. You're going to love your child to torment for the rest of his life because there's something broken on the inside of him. It's not an external thing. It's an internal thing that can only be solved and healed by, the, by his creator, Jesus Christ. But now we're going to love people because we're so afraid to offend because we've been conditioned by this culture to let people do whatever they want when our job as a parent is to train a child in the way he should go so he does not depart from it when he gets older. Our job is to train them, not to just let them do what they want to do. That's not love. That's not love. That's not love. And it's not Dwayne Wade's fault. No one's told him, obviously. There's no one in his sphere of influence that has bold enough to say, Dwayne, you're a good dude. You're a poor kid. You're a poor son. Like, I feel bad for him. That is not what the Bible says is the best way for him to live. Let me teach you what the Lord has commanded me. Let us teach him, because discipleship is different than just salvation. That's why we have to invade culture, so that we can train people like Dwayne Wade and not have people like him teaching our children. And here's the thing, the same word that can set you free is the same word that can offend you. It's the same word. It's not our job to, to determine how people receive the word. It's our job to speak the word. It's our job to tell the truth and then 
the people that receive the word, yay, now we can move on and disciple the next people. The people that don't receive the word, we can pray that they're going to come around at some point. But you know what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, go into these cities, and if they receive you, give them your peace. If they don't, dust the dust off of your shoes and go to the next city. In other words, what we have is so valuable. It is so transforming. But if you don't want it, I'm not going to make you take it. If you don't want your life being transformed, if you can't handle the truth, then I'm not going to make you. But I know it can set you free. It can set you free. But if you don't want it, we're going to move on to the the next city, to the next person. And we're going to teach them what the Lord has commanded us. We can't let the world dictate what we're teaching and what we're saying. God wants to elevate Christians who are bold, but not just bold, great at what they do so they can influence people at high levels of society. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 29, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. It's not all bad. There, there's a guy, there's a, uh, the, the number one goalie in soccer in the world was on Instagram baptizing the number one forward in the world and giving glory to God. Soccer is the biggest sport in the world. It's not all bad. God is raising up people. It's just not as profiled as all the other stuff. It's not as, you know, controversial and sex doesn't get as much news as everybody else. But there are people, there are Christians that are stepping up. One of my favorites was was Tim Tebow. And I just want to read to you a little bit about what he did. Pastor Charles was acting in the prophetic this morning when he was talking about Tebow. This is in 2012. Tim Tebow, if you don't know, was a quarterback for the Denver Broncos, most notably. Went to Florida, University of Florida, was a Heisman Trophy winner, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Bold, outspoken Christian. This is in 2012 in the Wall Street Journal, a secular paper. People used to read the paper. It says, Tim Tebow, God's quarterback. And he, he, he had led the Broncos to a win in the playoffs, and um, this guy um, created this, the website called tebowing.com. And if you don't know what tebowing is, it's what Charles did. It's that. So every time he would score a touchdown or his team would, would score a touchdown, he would get down and he would pray. And they called it tebowing. And it, and it started to sweep across, across the nation. They said the site received uh, millions of visits and page views in its short life. It said that people found hope through a gesture. It said that there was a young boy that had cancer that was Tebowing while he was chemoing. He posted his picture. He posted his story. There was a Catholic priest that said that Tim Tebow is crossing all different religions. He's making praying in public cool. The USA Today, another paper. It's Tebow time. Denver quarterback inspires a nation. After he led the Broncos to victory in the playoffs, it says, his piety and his outspoken evangelical commitment are interesting, but they wouldn't matter if not for the incredible drama and success he brings to the football field. Now Tebow has swept a nation. In other words, unless he was excellent at what he did, no one would care. People would say, you're a dork, you're weird, you're awkward. But because he was winning in the playoffs, because he was a millionaire in the NFL, Tebowing was cool, praying was cool. That's why we have to step up our game as Christians. That's why we have to be the best at what we do, at the best at what you're called to do. Tebow hit more than a million mentions on Twitter. This is 2012. At the rate of tweets announcing the victory hit 9,420 per second, beating the 8,868 tweets per second rate reached when Beyonce announced her pregnancy during the MTV Awards. 
Both Tebow and his favorite Bible verse, John 3.16, were the top three Google trends throughout most of Monday after the Sunday victory. And it was interesting that people noted he threw for exactly 316 yards. He was in a Super Bowl commercial with an audience of 92 million, and um, his mom, after doctors told her to abort him, decided not to, and she ended up giving birth to Tim Tebow. And so he did uh, an abortion, um, uh, a pro-life commercial in front of 92 million people. He did it for free, but the impact of the ad campaign was 31.7 million worth of media attention, said the, said the uh, people that did the, the, um, the commercial. Last thing, in the Wall Street Journal, it says, according to the former Florida coach, Urban Meyer, Mr. Tebow's philanthropic efforts reshaped campus culture at the University of Florida. And for a time, volunteering became fashionable. This is in the Wall Street Journal. In, this, in his senior year, the Powder Puff football tournament that he launched with the help of the university's sororities and fraternities raised 340000 for charity. This is one man being bold, knowing what his call was, not conforming to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of his mind, knew who he was, and was willing to separate himself and be bold for Jesus. Be bold for Jesus. I think sometimes we, we try to speak this language of the world so that they can understand us, but what we do is we end up just conforming to the world. So there's no distinction. They can't tell whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, who you are. But Tim Tebow, I mean, how outspoken was that? And I just, I can't help to think that if Tim Tebow went to, went to Awaken Church, almost said C3, Awaken Church, and he knew that he had a mandate to disciple nations, that he had the ability and the influence to do that. I wonder if instead of retiring because he couldn't be a quarterback anymore, if he would have changed his position like coaches would suggest that he could stay in the NFL for a whole other number of years and keep his influence and keep his level of, of popularity to influence more people. I'm not trying to comment on his career, but I just wonder. There was a guy that was coming to, to awaken, Mike Clark. He was gonna retire. But when he saw what God was doing in San Diego, he kept working because he wanted to give to the vision because he wanted to see 16 campuses come to pass in San Diego County. He didn't retire. He kept working so he could give. I must be about my father's business. I must be about my father's business. I want to enlist you in the battle tonight, today. I want you to get involved. Romans 12.1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I like to invite the worship team up, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, not the world, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Did you know that there are things that you and I can't do that people in the world can do? Because God has set you apart. In Leviticus, the Bible talks about God setting apart his priests and having higher requirements on the priests because they carried heavy spiritual weight. It was their job to bring the word of God and atone for the sins of the people. So if they were in compromise or in sin, they could at some, sometimes even die. So they were held to a, a higher way of living. They were, they were held to more requirements to be more holy and more set apart, the priests. Did you know in Revelation, the Bible calls you a priest? Did you know in 1 Peter, it calls you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
God's special people. There are things that we can't do. We have to live above reproach. So there's a difference between what we're doing and what the world's doing. It's not always easy, but when you realize it's not always easy, it becomes easier. And God's will for your life is the best life that you could live. But I want to enlist you to tell the truth, to be a Christian, to be a disciple. There will come a time. We can't just be good examples. Jesus was a great example, but you know what the Bible says? He brought his disciples to himself and he opened his mouth. There will be a time where being an example is good, but there will be a time and an opportunity God will give you to open your mouth and tell somebody about Jesus. Tell somebody a better way. The way we live should be different. The way you respond to things should be different. The way you handle your family should be different. The way you handle your spouse should be different. The way you handle your finances should be different. The way you react to trouble should be different. We should be different because you're God's special people. We can't just do what everybody else is doing. But I'm your coach today. I want to inspire you. I want to challenge you. People say that we want to give a million dollars, but we don't even give a thousand. We say we want to build a business, but we refuse to get a job because we're entrepreneurs, which is code for we don't want to work hard. And so we can't pay for anything, and we're living by other people's faith, calling it God's favor. You got to get a J-O-B. You got to work, especially if you want a cherished woman in this place. We say we want to raise the dead, but we won't even fast for a week. And if we do fast, we eat better than we did when we weren't fasting, because we don't want to be hungry. Come on, our, our, we must be about our Father's business. We got to make some changes. I'm speaking to myself. We gotta, are we committed to this thing or not? We live one time, we got one chance. When you're in heaven in a thousand years, guess what's gonna matter? What you did for the kingdom. I'm not saying you gotta be a pastor or a worship leader or a missionary. I'm just saying we gotta have a God perspective on what we're doing. We are people on purpose. And God has called Awakened Church to invade San Diego and beyond. Are you ready? Psalms 100. And 10, 3 says, your people will offer themselves willingly to participate in your battle in the day of your power. If we want to see the power of God, then we got to offer ourselves willingly and engage in the battle. That's what it's like in the military, Pastor Charles. If you're on the front lines, guess what? You're going to take some fire, but guess what else is going to happen? You're going to see the firepower of the United States of America up close and personal. If you want to see the firepower of Jesus Christ in your life, it's time to get on the front lines. It's time to go. Let's go get some. Let's go do something. Let's have a kingdom perspective. Let's be the best at what God's calling us to be so that we have influence over those around us. Let's start discipling ourselves, our families, our friends, people around us, not in a weird way. Just live a life for God and you'll find that people want to follow and have the life that you have because your life is being transformed. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.